This is episode 18 of the Think Data podcast in partnership with DataWorks. And today I'm really excited to welcome Calvin Gerris to the podcast. Calvin is the Director of AI Product at Borealis, the AI research arm of the Royal Bank of Canada. He has a pretty interesting background, actually, because he started his career as an electrical engineer back in 2007. And since then, he has gone on to build data and AI teams for the likes of Autodesk, 4C, and Allocadia. Welcome to the show. And I do appreciate you uh, taking time out of your morning to uh, to speak with us. So as I kind of alluded to there, you had a pretty non-standard entry to AI and products. So, so can you Give us a bit of a uh, kind of a background to what brought you from that career in electrical engineering through to kind of ML and AI. Mm-hmm, definitely. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Alex. Thanks for having me. Um, it was an interesting career path. I actually uh, specialized in biomedical engineering back in university. And so I had a, a dual degree. I did some research, research after in biomedical engineering. And actually, my research was uh, in data modeling and, and finite element modeling. So I had some early start in understanding um, data stats and managing data, manipulating data back in the day. Um, when I moved into industry, I, I, I went into power engineering and went into telecom engineering design, substation design, and, and transmission design. But um, I was always have always been interested in like high technology or deep technology um, and the power industry. Was was fun, but uh, I needed to get back into the depths of uh, of um, uh, a deep technology and data engineering and, and electrical engineering. So I went down to Silicon Valley to do my MBA, kind of transition back into this world of uh, data engineering. And, and through my career, I was went from engineering design to engineering management pretty quickly, and product management in the in the, the uh, utility space. So. When I went down to San Francisco, I did my MBA and specialized in in uh, data product management and product uh, building with with data and uh, and that kind of led into the world of AI. That during that time, that was kind of the evolution of big data and, and Hadoop and the Zoo Farm there and, and Spark. And so I started building data products, data uh, tables, uh, big data platforms. And and through that evolved, you know, machine learning, uh, modeling, and this just getting involved into different waves of machine learning AI just through uh, product management, um, and you know, trying to leverage these new data technologies in product uh, through my career. So it kind of led me to basically now Borealis AI, as each company I was working with got a little bit more advanced in machine learning and AI and as well as like computer engineering and data engineering. Interesting. Because I know, so was you, your first foray into kind of a fully fledged data product role, was that for Autodesk, was it? Yeah, that's correct. So yeah, I'm guessing guess. it's quite an early, you know, I know data product now is a fully fledged function has become very kind of common and kind of critical for most data teams. But back then, I guess, Autodesk were probably almost ahead of the curve, I'm guessing, in terms of having a dedicated product function. What, what was the reason for that? Um, actually, I was part of their big data platform team. So what they were trying to do is organize their data uh, so they could better utilize it in their multitude of products. 
So their clients' data, their um, uh, assets or product data, their usage data, behavioral data. So building these these data tables, so product teams can leverage them and utilize them for more advanced AI and machine learning features within their products. So it's kind of thinking about the core of what makes machine learning good or like useful is you need to have good data to start off with. Uh, and so leveraging that data, that takes a lot of work to make sure your data is organized, cleaned, it's, it's clear, um, and it's useful. Uh, also, it's, it's transformed in a way that uh, the models can understand and you can, the teams can leverage more uh, broadly. So uh, that was the kind of main role of Autodesk. And Autodesk was transitioning from the, 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 script, uh, the um, licensing of the software to subscription, kind of like uh, Adobe had done in the past. And so the, that transition requires a good understanding of data uh, from moving to the cloud. Interesting. And obviously you're now at Borealis AI, which as I mentioned, Nore, the kind of the research arm of uh, RBC. And can you give us a bit of an understanding? Because not many people I can imagine would have heard of them typically, but what type of projects and use cases are you typically working on there? And how involved are RBC from kind of a direction and research standpoint? Yeah, Borealis AI started about five years ago. And um, focused on fundamental AI research. And one of the main uh, core tenets of Borealis was to keep a lot of the strong uh, AI talent uh, coming out of the Canadian universities close to Canada, close to home, um, and, and uh, try to attract, attract those uh, top researchers from these universities to help um, push the uh, AI capability set of Canada forward. And so Borealis AI was institute that we could attract these top talent and, and produce you know, fundamental papers in AI, machine learning, research and development. About uh, four years ago, when I joined Borealis AI, the transition was from fundamental research to applied AI. It's okay, now we've, we've built this institute, research institute that is accredited with uh, top talent and, and producing great research. And how do we apply this into RBC, the World Bank of Canada, into existing products and operations and really change financial services uh, from an AI perspective? Uh, so when I joined Borealis, we were starting up the business development and product management organization within that team. And RBC invests quite a bit in AI and they um, respect its uh, potential, but also uh, approach it cautiously and with a lot of safety and responsibility towards AI. And, that, and that's a big tenet of our Borealis as well as in principle is how do we develop this AI safely, respectfully, and trustworthy. Uh, and so we put a lot of effort in those aspects when we are deploying AI into our products and services. Um, put a lot of research in there around explainability, bias, um, as well as uh, when we're thinking about generative AI now and the the grounding and truthfulness of these models. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think there's a there's a whole discussion point at the moment about responsible kind of development, responsible product development, and actually there's a, there's a whole case study here around kind of governance, and you know, there's been it's been well publicised. So it's interesting that you are approaching this initially with that in mind, and. I know from a, an investment banking and banking standpoint, I guess from an AI and machine learning standpoint, that's probably one of the 
main sectors that is up for such disruption if you think of the sheer scale of the data sets you're working for is a lot of it is it aligned to a particular kind of uh, technology vertical or use case or is it really just looking at ai across the whole piece yeah it's a good, great question and uh we dig into very narrow use cases at the bank and apply mm-hmm. you know uh purposely built deep neural nets for those use cases and optimization functions and, and build specified specific AI for those use cases. And then also we approach it broadly. So from a Borealis perspective, we engage with different lines of bank uh, businesses within RBC to find um, places where we can deliver outside value from a little incremental change of optimization or a uh, model can uh, improve the, the service or product by a substantial amount. In the investment banking space and global equities, we do kind of play in that space and we look at some of the big areas of, you know, returns prediction and price formation, as well as uh, a DWAP um, uh, horizon prediction, and different areas within um, trading and capital markets, uh, as well as hedging and, and risk. Uh, but we also do that across the bank. So within personal and commercial banking, we look at cash flow forecast, a cash flow forecasting, different uh, recommendation engines around personal banking that makes it more delightful and enjoyable that show up in our mobile app. We also look at the core of banking in terms of credit and uh, how we can make better credit decisions using AI and machine learning and optimizing the credit process and the credit adjudication process. So that so we do look at these like verticals, but then across the board when we're thinking about building these algorithms. And these models, you know, how do we deploy them, um, operationalize them, maintain them, monitor them, uh, ensure that they are uh, risk-free, they're safe, we can explain them. So there's like kind of this like cross-functional across our models that we deploy and think about the systems that we build with them, uh, the integration of these models into the, the bank, um, more from like an engineering perspective. Mm. Wow. So a huge amount of... Uh work going on there and i'm guessing you touched something really interesting at the beginning there about the one of the visions were to retain the talent within canada and i think we talked beforehand about the brain drain effect of having north america or america so close to the border so are you beginning to see that switch happening where people are staying in canada because it's not necessarily typically people maybe like yourself when you did your mba you go to silicon valley and that's naturally where you would gravitate to but are you beginning to see more of a increase in a opportunity for people to stay in Canada? Yeah, I think so. And and some of those companies are coming up to Canada as well, right? So they have mm. set up their office that here helps. in Canada, which yep. is which is nice. It helps. Um I still think Canada has a lot more to grow in, in the tech sector generally. Yeah. Um I think there's some really great hubs. Toronto's becoming a really uh, awesome place for tech. Um we have some tech darlings like Spot uh, uh Shopify. That are doing yeah. excellent. Um, Cohere is like really ramping up right now and coming out of Toronto. Waterloo has always been really great for like AI talent. Vancouver, where I where I reside, is also a really nice like startup um, hub, and it's really it's really small, but I think there's a really core group of um, excellent uh, uh, engineers and technologists that that live here in Vancouver that are starting to build something special. And then we've had a lot of startups coming out of the Vancouver BC area as well. I think Slack was originated from from Vancouver area. Um, yeah. A couple more that are, that are, are really, really nice. So I think it's a growing 
tech industry. And then from the AI perspective, we still have a lot of really good AI talent coming to the universities. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. them still go do down, go down south and go to these, these big companies um, that provide the opportunity. So I think as we become, we move into this like next wave of AI, I think, and most startups will probably start leveraging this generative AI technology in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. That will open up more opportunity with people and maybe specialize in the AI domain to kind of tax on to these new startups coming up from out of, out of Canada. Yeah, I think that's fascinating because I think the reality of it is that the, the demand for talented AI professionals, whether that's across product or on the technical engineering piece, um, is far outweighing the supply at the moment. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, you know, in terms of the companies that are now coming into the market and what you've seen is, I think almost the last 12 months, we've seen this rapid, you know, kind of adoption of kind of LLMs and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, open AI has become this huge kind of topic. But how are ultimately companies going to stand out? Because what we're seeing, you've only got to go on any job boards now and you've got so many companies that on the face of it look pretty similar, you know, generative AI products. But in your experience, obviously with the work you're doing at the moment from a research standpoint, what do you think they're going to have to do to stand out and obviously get that kind of market share? Yeah, that's this is a really interesting question right now because everybody has access to the same technology yeah. and like some of the best technology in the world. It's this revolutionary technology and we all can access it every day from our our home and our, our like local computers. So how, when you're building a startup or you're building a company, how do you differentiate? I think there's, there's a couple of layers here. Um, the advent of prompt engineering, I think this is one area like zero stock zero shot learning that has really um blown my mind really from the like working with ai machine learning in the past quite a bit is you know having to have a lot of labeled data or clean data sets to align a model towards a certain task now you don't really need that you just need instruction in natural language and mm-hmm. maybe even like a couple examples if you really want to push a little bit so that that first layer of differentiation around prompt engineering to like modify the large language model uh, towards what you're trying to uh, align it to, what task you're trying to align it to. That's one area that differentiation, but that doesn't go very long. It's not very it's not a very big moat around your mm-hmm. product because anybody can kind of maybe reverse engineer your prompt or figure out your prompt. And also there's always the risk aspect of this prompt injection. So you, people can, you know, modify your how your large language model shows up in your product by just slowly prompt engineering it or prompting it away from your core prompt. Now that they're, yep. they're trying to fix this a bit, like OpenAI is putting more weight into the system message to make it more um, safe in terms of these prompt injections or kind of manipulating your LLM. But so that's one layer of differentiation. But what really is interesting with these generative AI models now is that it's more than just this chat interface. It's this platform and OpenAI is showing that with plugins and the ability that it connects to other services and databases and downstream systems. And you can implement it in a systems perspective. So that ability to now build a product around it and have this large language model kind of orchestrate your product, you, your, it, your fundamentals of your product differentiation still exists, like what market you're in, 
uh, how you build that product, what services and capabilities are you providing to the end user, what unmet need are you, are you solving? And then you have a large language model that helps like change the, the user human interface uh, and uh, how you interact with the product. So you may no longer need to type or click or, or, or swipe through the product, but you can just talk. And then that language model can act for you in the yep. system approach. Now there's more layers to this, like to make it more differentiated. So there's the foundation model builders, like um, uh, Inflection or OpenAI uh, or Cohere that are building those foundation models, which are really expensive. Um, yep. But there's this concept of you have the foundation-based model, then you have the assistant model that's ChatGPT or these, these chat-based models on top of it. If you're able to um, supervise fine-tune or uh, RLHF on top of this base model, to fine-tune it to a specific assistant model, then that gives you a different uh, flavor of AI or different like personality of AI system, yeah. which can differentiate you against the market. So you know, no longer are you, is your AI the same as um, ChatGPT or um, Pi, for example. You yeah. could have something that's different, has maybe a different tonality or personality type based upon your training regime of how you want to train it towards um, similar. So there are these like these tools and system, uh, ways of fine-tuning your model to make it differentiated. But I think the core, though, is how you integrate it with your product, how you yeah. embed it with your system, and how it, c- it can communicate with your data to make the conversation personal, how it can communicate with your um, API layer to make it actionable, and then kind of make that experience magical. Just like it's going to be a different experience that you that the user will show up to the product. Yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because you've only got to see what's recently happened with Databricks and Mosaic, and you think actually how they're buying this uh, effectively. The market is going to become huge amount of startups, or as you rightly say, fine tuning the same you know product to just fine tune it so it's so refined, so we tailored for. The respective market, and then obviously they're ripe for acquisition. You now, Databricks, obviously Microsoft, to, with ten billion. You know, I think it's going to be really interesting. And I think I spoke to someone last week who was saying actually what they're working on is how to deliver the results because actually it's still probability, isn't it? You know, it's still not a hundred percent true facts being delivered here, and it's how they deliver that message based on the demographic. So, a six-year-old girl in wherever could receive uh, the information differently from a 65 year old male somewhere else so yeah i think so in terms of the stuff you're doing at the moment we've been talked a lot about uh displacement of jobs we talked a lot about Mm -hmm. uh people fearing for kind of ai taking over the world but in your experience what what sectors do you think will benefit the most from this kind of uh i suppose trend really yeah, I think like it's interesting. Generally, AI has been around for a long time, so it's like, yeah, it's just the manifestation of these these large language models. Like, it's like everything's kind of come together at the right time, and then Sam Altman has done an excellent job of showcasing the power of these through ChatGPT, and it's kind of caught fire. Um, yeah. And so the transition of our workforce and how AI can impact it has been happening for a while. And now it might accelerate a bit. And I, I do think we're in this really hype cycle right now. Um, mm-hmm. But we, 
overestimate the short term often and like the impact of it, but underestimate the long term impact of this, these technologies. Like we don't really, we won't see the exponential curve that we might be on. And so going back to the question of like what industries, industries will be affected by this type of AI and this AI in general, I think it will be widespread. It'll be all lots of industries. However, you know, what can it and can it not do or what will it change maybe from my day job? I think it's just going to make us a lot more productive. Like it's going to be able to upskill us and be able to do a lot more uh, in less time. Like the ability to use um, ChatGPT to help you, you know, formulate a, a pitch deck, for example, or work through mm-hmm. market research. Um, the ability to drop in uh, a large data set and to do and have the AI to do the data analysis on it. And, and pull out insights and, and plot the data on, on different dimensions and curves. And yeah. so like all this like little stuff and like, you know, auto populate my presentation or, or like create my copy and, and automate this like marketing flow, all these things, it's going to just make us more productive, be able to create more and more in less amount of time. And so what does that do for us? Does it open up us up for more meaningful work? I don't know, maybe, hopefully. Yeah. And, and, and allows us to like dig deeper into being that human director for the AI, because that still has to exist right now. It's like the AI was just sitting there waiting for our, for a direction from a human. What should I do? How should I help you? And once you get that direction, then it can go off and do those things. So um, that's more like those like task-based AI. I think then when we get into this world of that's been showcased by tools like AutoGPT or Baby AGI, where it's kind of this autonomous agent where you give it a goal and it goes off and, and does it. That is quite interesting. And maybe that, uh, that will start to um, take over certain jobs kind of completely. If you have this goal task-based job that can, it can kind of take over completely um, or just modify it. Then new jobs will be evolved. And I, I do think it's a, a real worry to think about what is the future of our work um, with this such advanced AI that can help us improve it. It's really interesting too, if you think back about the predictions of AI and how it might take like the blue collar jobs, but it's actually flipped on its head a bit. Like when we first thought about AI is like, oh, you know, it's, it's never going to be creative. It's never going to take an artist's job or a painter's or, or a writer, a poet, yeah. but <laughs> it's actually done exactly that. So, you know, it's, it's, it has, can produce great works of art. It can produce great you know, pieces of poetry, great in quotations and based on <laughs> evaluation from the human yeah. perspective. But, but, but it's interesting, like our predictions around how it's going to impact us is always a little bit wrong. So it's, it's hard to say, but I do think it will make us very, a much more productive uh, society in the near term. Yeah, I think you touched on some really interesting points there because, you know, I liken this to kind of the, the dot-com boom, then then obviously the cloud boom. And then you, you mentioned something there, the kind of people are on the hype train now. And actually, when you look at some of the valuations of these, or Mosaic, three-year-old business, what so I think it's been well-documented, 50 staff, multi-billion dollar acquisition. It'd be interesting to see what happens over the next six, 12 months. Will people start to see how things play out or do you think actually everyone will just be you know now databricks have shown their cars trying to compete with snowflake you've got you know are people going to follow the train and 
you know, beyond that, people, as you rightly said, will adapt and start to use and embrace the tools as opposed to being, you know, out of work. You know, it's really AI should become the the contributor to your life rather than taking away from it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And it's interesting too, as you think about the market consolidating, as well, like all the big players will integrate large language models into their product. Like look at Microsoft, yep. they'll have AI within the Microsoft Office suite. And so as a startup trying to build like this new AI presentation kind of uh, tool, maybe, or like auto, auto-generate presentation stuff, now you will compete against Microsoft or like a copywriter yeah. that's going to have it embedded in, in Office, right? You'll, you'll compete against this. So it's going to be, because it's so easy to drop it in there and so easy to deploy it in some it sense. Is. But like you have to, I, I still think there's a there's this alignment tuning layer that will make your product more successful if you get really good at tuning or aligning aligning the ai towards you what you want your personality like your your ethos of the product the how you the voice or the tone of the ai you want to create and the tasks that you want it to, to do and, and it stays aligned to that without someone trying to like throw it off or or mess with it uh, and then that that task is is kind of um, unique in, in its space or, or the unmet need is there really and you can do it better than anything else and you're, you'll be successful. I think like, so like kind of going back to some of the fun, fundamentals of product management and building great products still exist using new technology and I think one of the, the key elements of making that large language model speed generative AI work for you is alignment tuning and thinking about that. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. On the product piece, because you obviously did your MBA, then you went into a fully fledged, you know, product kind of career. Um, we, we're seeing the demand rise, as, as I mentioned earlier. Salaries are on the up. That that this really is front and center AI centric ML product. Uh, people listening to this, it was originally uh, set up to help people transitioning from maybe. A good example would be from data science into products, or it could be more BI into mm. machine learning. But in your experience, what makes a great kind of product manager within AI, and how do typically, or what steps should someone take if they're looking to pursue that kind of career path? I think it it's it's kind of one one part of this. It's your desire to get into this like product space, and so it's a way of thinking. Um, Product managers often have to be really good generalists. So like they need to be able to translate business language to technical language and technical language to business language and, and diverse these, these different domains quite well. So from an AI product manager, you have to have that domain knowledge around like AI to so understand, you know, what is required to build a machine learning model. You know, what does the, what data do you need? What type of models may, may exist? Um, it it kind of gives you like AI product manager. Understanding the machine learning domain and AI domain gives you a, a toolbox of tools to solve problems with. And so that fundamental of like, I need to find uh, a strong user problem that if I solve it has a lot of value in the market and value to the, the end user. And that still exists, but how I might solve that problem. Now I have these other tools like large language models or um, uh, time series forecasting or classification, or I have all these other tools to be able to maybe apply to this problem space. So just knowing that those exist and how you might use them 
uh, or how you could build with them to help solve that problem. Mm -hmm. That's kind of really the big difference there. So, you know, going back to like stepping into product management is like one area that I think is essential for product managers is like you have to really want to solve problems and you need to understand that to solve these problems, you need to empower and motivate others to help you solve that problem. So building teams and, and then in order to motivate and empower others to help solve this problem, you need to be able to communicate the problem really well uh, and its requirements and understand the domains that are necessary to help solve that problem. And so you can help put it together. So talking to an engineer and say like, okay, we need to set up our data systems so we can you know, enable um, a machine learning researcher to build a model to help solve the problem in this way. Uh, and then we, you know, we can go about it and iterate and, and test and experiment. So going to like the agile development process or experimentation to help find the right solution. But you know, um, jumping through these domains and conversing through these domains with the people a part of your team coordinated together is really what brings product management together. I think at the end of the day, like you're solving yeah. that problem together, empowering that team, and. Uh, using the tools that you have in your toolkit. So like the only difference for an AI product manager is like you understand AI and machine learning a little deeper and you can leverage those tools to help solve that problem. Yeah. And do you think the, uh, you came from obviously a kind of engineering background, so it's kind of almost hardwired into you, but do you think the the technical grasp, the technical know-how sets you, puts you kind of in a better position or do you think actually that can be learned, especially with obviously... Uh, the tools we have in front of us now do you think, do you think being technically minded is probably going to help you more depends on the product area i think like yeah. some products are much more design focused and so i don't come yeah. from like a design background but i think it's incredibly important for product manager to understand good design and mm. simple de- design um that's an area where i typically like to learn a lot because that's maybe one of my gaps i have a lot of like technical experience but yeah i, I think that the um, opposite exists, exists as well. Like having good technical background understanding is is important. Uh, uh, definitely depends on what type of product domain you're in. But at Borealis AI, it's very it's a very much a technical product development um, yeah. domain where our products kind of end at the API layer. So a lot of the development is in the backend services and models, etc. So having a good understanding of the technical space helps in the product managers to excel here um mm. so but i don't think uh like like you said well, there's so much tools and resources out there to learn these things uh it shouldn't it shouldn't um you know prevent someone jumping into product management if they don't come from a technical background like jump on these these uh coursera or yep. udemy learn some some of the basics and the core understand the language um and start to understand like these systems to help build products, like the backend services and layers that exist, uh, so you can kind of understand it. Then you'll, you'll do well in a, in a product management. I think the upskilling side just kind of gives you a bit of a element of credibility, anyway, doesn't it? I think if you can, you know, understand mm-hmm. the, the speak and be able to talk on a level, not at that level, but at a level, it's it's going to help. And final question, because I know you're obviously the forefront of research with what you're doing, but. We've seen, obviously, the previous six, 12 months have just been this rapid rise of AI, you know, front and center. Yeah, you're right. It's been around for years. Uh, but mm-hmm. ultimately, it's more commercialized now. 
over the next six to 12 months? What do you think we can expect to see? I think uh, still a lot of progress. And the yeah. open source community has been on fire lately. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's been really exciting to watch and, and see all these new models pop up, like Falcon, uh, 40 billion parameter model that's doing really well. And it's open source and you can leverage it and put it in your products, uh, commercialize wow. it. Um, really, really cool. And all the other kind of systems that are popping up around large language models, like LangChain. So being able to connect these models together and connect them to tools. And so going back to that point of differentiation in your product and building these, these uh, systems, basically, and uh, giving the language models more power through good engineering and, and, mm -hmm. and connecting yeah. it to like downstream systems and databases and the web and search engines, et cetera. So I think that, that's been really cool to, to watch and see it really blow up and it's going to continue to progress rapidly. Um, I, I do think there's going to be some new and better foundation models that are going to be released again relatively soon. Uh, I, th I think in six months, there'll be another, maybe not, maybe not GPT-5, but something that's like coming out of maybe uh, uh, Anthropic or Inflection or Cohere. There's other foundation model builders that might be building something quite powerful that are coming out of the, wow. out of the gate. Exciting time, I say, and for you to be kind of front and center of that must be exciting for you to be involved in it. And I, you know, everyone we speak to at the moment, you know, they're generally excited. There's on the other side of, you know, the, the fence where people are generally quite terrified. But you know, it, it sounds like done the right way with the right governance. You, you mentioned right at the beginning, you know, mm -hmm. models built in the right way, products deployed effectively, and you know, governed. I think there there should be no reason to be concerned. Yeah, and I think that's a good point, though. Like, you know, it's really up to humanity at the end of the day. Like, the, yeah. that open letter about stopping AI, like, put a, put a stop, like, just kind of pause it while we figure out the safety concern of that. I think that's a good intention, but it's not possible. It's like the cat is out it's of the bag. Yeah. <laughs> it's gone. Yeah. So you can't yeah. really stop it. It's, it's, you know, no. you can, you maybe, I think all the conversation and talk, uh, talk around Responsible AI is excellent. We should continue to discuss it and 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 understand AI. But as humanity, we do need to understand that too, and, and educate ourselves and understand like what is this technology? How is it going to affect me? How might it change my my worldview or um, my kids' worldview? And yep. uh, and and take some action. You know, you know, speak up to uh, regulatory regu regulators and, and and industry leaders to say, hey, we need to put some regulation in here we need to um put some guardrails in place i think it will happen um if you believe humanity is inherently good <laughs> if you think it's inherently lost, inherently yeah. bad yeah, <laughs> yeah. then <laughs> i don't know we have some trouble but uh i think we've gone through this type of essential crisis with technology before as well and uh we won't it won't be the last one we go through as well no uh and so yeah, we have to continue to be better at preparing ourselves for disruptive technology that can change our world uh, drastically. Amazing, Calvin. I really enjoyed the uh, the discussion. I'm sure you've, you've given a lot of insight around the product AI piece. You know how to break into this, but equally, just some really interesting kind of case studies. So I'm sure it'll be a really popular episode. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you taking time out of your your morning to speak with us. Thanks very much, Alex.
Cheers, Calvin.